So uh, there's nothing wrong with a little church. Here we are. And yet at the same time, the Lord uh, does not want us to just become a stagnant, nice little group. And we're all friends, and that's wonderful, and we all do life together. But it seems like there's, there is more. There's more for us to do. There's a greater vision that the Lord wants us to fulfill. There's more impact that he wants us to have in this community, and I dare say even around the world. It's not even a, a national vision, but it is a, a global vision. The purpose of the local church gathering is primarily for the edification of the saints. The reason we gather here on Sunday morning is for believers to be taught. For us to corporately worship together, it's for believers. The church, the local gathering, is for believers primarily. It's wonderful when somebody walks in off the street or it's wonderful when somebody invites somebody else who's not saved and they come into this church and they hear the gospel preached and they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. That's a good thing. And the gospel needs to be faithfully preached Sunday in and Sunday out. We preach Christ crucified. That's what we, that's what we preach. And yet when we come in here on a, a Sunday morning, the gathering is for the edification of believers, for believers to grow in Christ. For those who are already thirsty for him. Jesus taught those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. That's, that's the definition of a Christian. If a person does not hunger and does not thirst after righteousness, it's not a matter of something just being temporarily wrong. It's, it's a matter of life and death. 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy chapter 3, gives us a definition of what the church is. Paul says, if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he's saying, Timothy, I want you to understand how one is to behave, not just in a particular building, but when the church gathers together, the body of believers, those who know Christ, this is how they are to behave, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So what we preach here is the truth. What we're after continuously in this church is the truth. It's the truth that sets people free. It's the truth that allows us to worship rightly. It's the truth that waters the soul of a Christian. There, there can be people who come into this church who are are not Christians, and the truth will not water their souls. It will offend them or discourage them or cause them to want to leave. But to a believer, the truth, the truth is life-giving. It is like bread to a starving man. It's the truth. 
But to have a church, you need people. And so the question is, how do you get people? Because we can say that we are not after all sorts of different kind of slick techniques. And we can say that the church is a gathering of believers. And we can say that the church is for those who know the Lord Jesus Christ and who come in to hear the word of God preached. But you need people in order to do that. It's interesting. One question the early church never asked themselves. The early church never asked themselves you won't find this in Acts. You won't find it in any of the epistles. You will not hear it explicitly taught or implicitly instructed. You don't see this anywhere. You don't see them thinking about this question, pondering this question, writing about this question, discussing this question. You never hear the early apostles, you never hear the early church, you never hear the Lord Jesus Christ ask, how are we going to get them in? That question is never asked. In fact, you can read in vain looking for that question. The disciples never sat around and said to themselves, how are we going to get people in here on Sunday morning? Now, we have a, we have a church, and we have a, a pastor, and we have a couple people, but the question is, let's have a, a discussion. Perhaps we'll make it a, a panel discussion if we can get a few more people. How are we going to get people here on a Sunday morning? How, how are we going to get people here On a Wednesday night. They never ask that question. In fact, you can tell very clearly they never even think about it. And yet we have suffered from decades now of people constantly thinking about that, constantly writing about that. How are we going to get people in the church doors? We have books on it. We have videos on it. We have internet websites all geared toward figuring out how to get people in. There's been a lot of wasted time. There's been a lot of wasted ink. A lot of wasted strokes of the keyboard trying to figure out and trying to teach how how do we get people into the church and it almost becomes a game so we figure out ways where on sunday morning we can hopefully open the doors and people come they come flocking in to create centers that have almost and we'll almost do anything to attract people and to hear a dumbed down and watered down message actually vaccinates people against the gospel. 
It's interesting, vaccinations, most of them have just a little bit of the disease, whether it's still alive or, or dead. And so the person who is being vaccinated has this little bit given to them, and then, of course, their immune system begins to fight against that. This is exactly what we have done in many so-called churches, is because we have asked this question incessantly, how do we get people in? We have given people just enough of the Bible, maybe a, a verse or two sprinkled in, in order to not help them get closer to Christ, but actually to vaccinate them against the true gospel. And because of that, we have people who think that they are Christians or think that they are going to a church when perhaps it's nothing more than a motivational speech center or a place where people can hear just a little bit, just enough so that when they're confronted with the truth, they say, that's not what we're after. That offends us. That's not the church. That's not what Jesus is about. So the question that we don't ask ourselves is, how are we going to get people in? Because it's wholly unbiblical. The question we ask ourselves is, how are we going to reach people for Jesus? That's the question we ask. How are we going to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And this is something that we as leaders have been talking about. And there's a sense that before we do anything, we need to pray. There's a sense in which we are to reach out to people as a, as a corporate body here at City Light. To actually reach people as a church collectively in our community with the, the power and the love of Christ. But before we just jump into doing something, before we have an idea and we say we'll do that and somebody else has an idea about how we as City Light Church corporately, collectively can reach people for Christ, we need to pray. And there's a, there's a great sense that this is what the Lord is calling our church collectively to do. It's to say, Lord, before we begin to plan, before we do anything, Lord, we know that you want us as a church here to reach people for the Lord. Lord, we're not, we're not satisfied. We're so thankful for where you have brought us. We understand, Lord, that the gathering of the saints on, on Sunday morning is for believers, but God, we need believers, and the only way that we get believers is by reaching the lost. How do you, how do you get a church started in a remote area of the world? You go in with the gospel. And you pray. And so we begin to pray as a church. And this is what the Lord is calling us to, to say, Lord, help us. Help us know, help us strategize, help us to 
understand specifically before we move in any direction. Lord, help us as a body here at City Light to know exactly what you are calling us to do. Lord, we won't move until we know your presence is in it. Jesus, you have to be with us. If you're not in it, we are going empty-handed. And we're not ministering with you or in your, in your power. It's interesting, when Jesus was here on earth, people spent time with him. They loved spending time with him. Believers loved hanging out with Jesus. And that's what prayer is. It's hanging out with Jesus. It's getting with him just like the disciples did. Jesus said, when I leave you, I'm not leaving you as orphans. But I'm sending you another one just like me. In fact, he says, it is to your benefit or to your advantage that I go away. So when we pray, it's not just doing something. It's not just praying to some remote God out there. It's actually praying. And so we are coming to the Lord and and spending time with him. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33, verse 15. Moses is praying. And he says in verse 15 of Exodus 33, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. Moses says, Lord, if you're not going to go with us, please don't let us go. Don't take us. Lord, if you're not going to go with us as a church collectively at City Light, don't let us go anywhere. Lord, if you're not going to enable us to reach the lost for Christ, Shut our church down. Lord, if, if you're not going to uh, allow us to actually know you and this becomes ever something, anything less than having your presence with us, stop us. Blow the candle out. Stop us in our tracks. Lord, the only way that we want to go as a church is if your presence, and that means, Lord Jesus, if you're in it and you are, you are with us. So I'm asking you as members and part of the body here at this church, with other believers in this church, in your time with the Lord alone, that you would begin to ask God for clear direction for our church and how we are to minister to people all around us. And so we pray. And then we get to the point where we ask ourselves a few questions. We ask ourselves, is there clear direction? Is there clear direction? Is there a sense like the early church said, it seemed good to us and the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit in this? Have we prayed and gotten the go-ahead from the Lord that we know that he is in this, that it's not just us plowing forward with our own plans. Are others on board? Are there other people who are on board with this collective mission, or is this just one person saying this is something that 
I think we should do, and the rest of the body is going, that sounds nice, but nobody is really interested in joining in. It might be time at that point to simply pray some more, wait on God. Third question we need to ask ourselves is, is the gospel the center of this ministry? Will the gospel be preached consistently in whatever ministry it is? It would be nice if we had a ministry where we made scarves and hats for people to keep warm. But if the gospel is not going forward, if the truth isn't being preached, then it's not given in Jesus' name. It's given, but it's not given in the name of Christ. And everything we want to do as a ministry here in this church, yes, we want to effectively help those with physical and bodily needs, but we want to consistently do it in Jesus' name. But it really starts out individually. And this is a call to prayer for all of us individually. And we begin by confessing our sins, known and unknown sins to the Lord, and asking for a mighty work of His Spirit in our lives to make us holy. To make us holy. So we come before the Lord and we say, Lord, we are confessing to you things in our lives, sins, both known and unknown sins, God, to you. Lord, we want to be like you. Change us from the inside out. Listen, it's very hard to get excited about ministering in Jesus' name if we are not either believers or we are not right with the Lord ourselves. Psalm chapter 51, verse 10, a familiar verse to all of us, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew within me a right spirit. So we get before the Lord and we just say, Lord, we, uh, we want to do uh, business with you. We want to come before you and we want you to search our hearts. We want you to know us. We want you to try us. We want you to come and see if there be any wicked way in us and deal with us individually so that we can know you better. And as we, as we do that, we're able to then effectively minister in his, his name. We pray, secondly, Lord, help me, enable me, cause me to dwell in your word. Lord, let me know the Bible, not just to know verses, but Lord, so that they feed my soul and they're applied to my heart. Psalm 119, if you flip over there with me, Psalm 119, verse 114. Psalm 119, verse 114. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. So we need to be people of the book. Recently I got done with reading through the ESV um, translation of the Bible. And I'm about to start again. And so I've been talking with Sean about Bible reading plans. 
And one of the plans that we have known about is uh, the McShane Bible reading plan. We're going to have that posted next week. May I encourage you uh, this year uh, to perhaps join us. We won't uh, have a sign-up or anything like that. But to commit to yourselves, whether it's that plan or any other plan, to read through the Bible. There's many wonderful plans. If if you do uh, end up doing that, I would love to hear that and you can encourage me, I can encourage you as we make our way through the entire Bible. We won't finish by January 1st, but the end of January next year. But to be Bible people, to be Bible men and women, men and women and children who dwell in the pages of Scripture. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So we ask the Lord, this is a prayer, we're praying, we're praying collectively, corporately, we're praying, we're praying individually, we're confessing our sins before the Lord, we're asking the Lord to enable us to dwell richly within his word. And then we're asking the Lord to grant us a sense of people's hopeless condition without him. The Bible is so clear that people without Jesus Christ are lost. Frank alluded to this earlier with uh, Roman Catholicism. We live in an area that is predominantly Roman Catholic, although that is becoming uh, increasingly something that is in in name only for many, just as with, with many Protestants. But there are many Catholics in our area who do not know Christ because Rome teaches a false gospel. In the early 1990s, there was a document that came out called the ECT, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. J.I. Packer and some other evangelicals uh, co-wrote this document with um, some Catholics They came out and they said, listen, yes, we have our differences, but let's put bygones behind us and um, let's let bygones be bygones. Let's put hard days and some of the things in the past behind us and let's, let's move on towards unity. This is really all about love and we agree on many of the important things anyway. John MacArthur and D. James Kennedy Narcy Sproul came out and they said, no, 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 no. The heart of the gospel is at stake here. And there was one word that separated truth from error, and that was the word alone. And Narcy Sproul fought for this, as did those other men and many others. And they said, it's not just by Jesus saves. It's Jesus saves alone. 
And it's not just by grace that we're saved. It's by grace through faith alone. And it's the imputed righteousness of Christ. And here was the crux of the whole matter. It was the imputed righteousness, that is, the credited righteousness, the credited perfection of Christ given to our account. We give Christ our sin. Christ gives us, through faith, his righteousness. And it's only because of his righteousness alone that we stand justified before the Father. R.C. Sproul, at one point in a meeting, got up on the table on his hands and knees, and he crawled across the table, and he looked at one of the men who were arguing for the other side, and he said, don't you understand what I'm trying to say? And he said this with meekness and gentleness. He said, but I am asking the question, are you saved? So when we talk about this, we are talking about essentials of the faith. But it's not only Catholics. There are many people who are either atheists, agnostics, Protestant, people in evangelical churches who do not know Christ. And the question needs to come to our hearts is this. Do we have a sense that people without Jesus are hopeless? Because if we don't have that sense, if we don't live day by day thinking to ourselves, we've got to reach people for Jesus because people without Jesus are going to hell, then we won't reach them. If we say, yeah, we kind of believe that, but, you know, they are nice and, well, it's not all that important. Ephesians chapter 2, if you flip over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. Paul says this. He says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. He says people without Christ are hopeless. People without the true God are hopeless. So this begins in our hearts, and we begin to ask ourselves, Lord, do we have a passion for the lost? Maybe that's a question we need to ask ourselves today. Lord, do I have a passion? If there's anything but that, if there's anything that just says, let's get people in the church doors, but it's not people without Christ are lost, and we need to somehow reach them. If that is not what is echoing through our soul, then anything we build by our own strength is damnable. So we ask ourselves, is it about Christ? Do we know him? Do we hunger for him? Is our, is our zeal geared for other people to know Christ? And if we ask these questions and we pray and we begin to say, how are we going to reach people for Jesus Christ? The growth of this church will take care of itself. And I dare say it will explode. 
It'll grow and it'll grow and it'll grow because it'll be centered on one person, and that is Jesus. Now, Frank and I have been asking ourselves some questions over the last two years. We've been praying and talking. I dare say we, in our, in our um, bylaws, we have to meet every other month, but I dare say we meet quite a bit more than that, especially in the last year or so, whether formally or informally. We have a, a church covenant, and in the church covenant that members have signed, it says, I will faithfully attend the church. I will faithfully attend home group, and I will tithe of my income. Now, a, a tithe is not just um, an offering. A tithe literally means 10%. We are convinced here that the Scripture teaches in principle that the place to start with financial giving is the giving of our 10%. And it's really, um, it's really the Lord's money. Crystal and I, for the vast majority of our life together, have tithed. There was a time where I began to question that and think, well, maybe it's more just generous giving, that kind of thing. And uh, you can hear teachings on this from different sides, just like you can hear teachings on, on everything from different sides. But for a short period while we were not tithing, and again, I mean 10% of our income, we saw the blessing of God go down in our home. And for the majority of our life, when we have tithed and given above that, the blessing of God has been manifest and so profound and wonderful And so there are words in our covenant that say something to the effect of these are the things that we will commit ourselves to doing specifically. But the question comes up, what happens when members don't go to home group? And we have that. What happens when members don't tithe? And we have that too. I'm absolutely convinced if everyone tithed in this church, we would have more money than we knew what to do with. It's true. The district had come to me and they were looking at the finances of the church and they said, oh, they said, oh, the, the finances can come up. And they said, uh, the money's there. The money's there. And I thought, I don't know about that. I said, we have, uh, we have a lot of struggling people in our church and it's true, we do. 
We have people without jobs. We have people that are in all sorts of different financial places in their life. And it's none of our business who makes what, exactly what a tithe is for each family. But it becomes obvious when a family or an individual is not tithing. And in looking at the finances recently, it became clear that they were right. And when members don't tithe, uh, a church cannot go forward. Uh, a church cannot make it. And this is not um, this is not something that we is, is speculation. It's just a matter of, of fact. If members tithe, the church will will go forward financially. So then the question becomes, well, what do we do? We hold ourselves to these things. We, we believe that if we sign these things and we come in and we buy the vision of the church, that these are the things that we should abide by. And yet I have no interest in talking to people about tithing or on a serious level about home group. I love the people that come here, whether they tithe anything or not, whether they come to home group or not. And one thing I have found in 11 years of ministry is people don't go to home group and sometimes don't go to church for a host of different reasons. Sometimes it's medical things. Sometimes it's private and personal matters. Sometimes it's all sorts of different reasons. And as we began to talk about this, it became very clear that whenever we talk about church discipline, at least as we see it in the scriptures, it's always for egregious things. That is... Um, a man is sleeping with his mother-in-law and won't repent. And Paul comes along and says, don't you know that you should have put this person out? Instead of tolerating his sin, you should have come in and you should have, as a body, you should have done something. But it's interesting, even in those cases, his aim is always restoration. His aim is never punitive. His aim is, is, is never punishment or we're going to do this just to to make somebody pay. And in our church we commit because we are faithfully going to continue to teach the word of God that if somebody is in some kind of egregious sin and will not repent from it we will address it. For those who want to become members of this church they need to have at least a, a sound profession of faith that they believe in the orthodox things that are taught in the scriptures. That's all good and true. And for somebody who won't repent, who's in a situation where they say they're a believer, Paul is clear that it must be, it must be dealt with for the purity of the church's sake. 
But what we have come to, and both after much prayer and two years, at least close to two years of discussion, have come to the conclusion that we need to take out of the covenant words like, I will tithe. Take out of the covenant words like, I will faithfully attend home group. We need to take them out. We believe more than ever in home group. And you will hear it taught faithfully, passionately from this pulpit. In fact, I don't think there can be any sense of true community without home group. We're going to take out the word tithe. We believe that the scripture should convince us. Yes, we need to hold each other accountable, and that's why we still have a covenant. But here's what we want to have said in this going forward, and will be changing that we will faithfully commit ourselves to attending this church, and that we will commit ourselves to <clears throat> faithfully and generously giving financially of our time, etc. And we recognize that those are both very subjective words. And so at the bottom of all this, what we are saying is that as long as a person has committed themselves to Christ, is committing to these things. And they want to say this, City Light is my home. City Light's my home. They can be a member of this church. So somebody says for various reasons that maybe it's medical. Somebody says I'm not going to be able to attend a lot. Maybe they have uh, a host of other reasons, but I'm not going to be able to do this or that. But I still love this church. I want to be here. This is where I'll be faithful. I'm not going to be church hopping. We're going to talk about all these different things in membership classes. But if the Word of God cannot convince us in the areas of tithing, and the Word of God cannot convince us in the areas of community and the, necess the, the uh, necessity of community and the necessity of getting together and, and doing life together, then frankly a piece of paper isn't going to do it either. So what we want is we want freedom And we want these things to be adhered to and loved because they're convinced in their own mind from the scriptures. And we will faithfully pronounce and continue to teach all of these things because they are so important. Well, listen, I just want to share my heart here. We're not interested in putting people out of the church. That's not what we're interested in. We're interested in getting people into the church. I remember when I was first pastoring, 
and I was deeply concerned about this whole issue of membership in our first church. And I was about to be voted in as the pastor. And there were membership requirements in the Constitution and bylaws, but of course none of them were being adhered to. And I said to the pastor at the time, who's now with the Lord, I said to him, who's going to vote? Because we didn't even have official membership. I said, who's, who's going to vote? Because this is, a, this is a pretty important decision when you're installing a, a pastor in, in the, the place of leadership in a church. And he said to me, whoever shows up gets to vote. And I thought to myself, well, anybody can show up and, and vote on this most important matter. How does that work? And so I asked him, we had a church very small. I mean, it was as small as this was when we, when we started here. I said, well, can we at least have it on a Sunday night? Because a lot of times people that won't come won't come on a Sunday night and you get the more hardcore members, that kind of thing. And he said, okay, we'll do it on a Sunday night. Well, I couldn't believe it. We had the meeting and all these people showed up. And Crystal remembers this. On these people I hadn't seen in months and I didn't even know attended the church. And, Now remember, there's 35 votes, came back 34 to 1, and then became the pastor of the church. That concerns me with this church because the question is, if somebody's not committed, then they're going to be making, perhaps if they show up at meetings, important decisions regarding budget and leadership and all sorts of different decisions that come with, with membership. And this is one of the reasons why we wanted to have the covenant the way we did, because then you have committed people saying we are the ones who are also going to be making the decisions in the church. And so what we finally came to was the Lord's going to have to handle that. That as we make these changes, I believe that the church will become more accessible over the years while remaining faithful to the fundamental things that we believe in and allowing the person to grow into these things as the Lord leads them with his timing. Aren't you thankful the Lord's gentle with us as he leads us? I mean, he just lets us grow. And he allows us to grow into things. You know, when we talk about the church being the household of God, as 1 Timothy 3 says, we have babies in the house of God and adolescents and middle-aged and on it goes spiritually. And we're all at different places in our, in our spiritual walk and our spiritual journey with the Lord. And as we're listening to him, he's guiding us and he's impressing these things on our heart. And while I'm mentioning this, and I'm going to close with this. 
would you pray about the importance of community? Not, not from a, a sense of being told this is what I need to do, but just this is important for me and my growth in the Lord and to have a church that really knows each other. Would you pray and really think about tithing and giving to the Lord a tenth of your income and saying to the Lord, Lord, I know it's a step of faith, but God, when I get paid, 10% goes to you, 10% goes to you. Lord, I'm going to trust you. Randy Alcorn says to people who are really struggling with that, he says, Could you, would you live, would you survive, or would you die if you only got 90% of your check? People say, oh, of course I'd live. And he says, well, you can, then you can tithe. But Paul says we are to give willingly. And not from compulsion. And as we do, the Lord will bless and there is more than enough here to provide for the needs and the ministry here of this local church. So this is some direction that we are going with in 2018. And if you would like to talk about any of this, Frank or I would love to chat with you about it. If you have any questions, we'll be talking about it at home group. And we'd love to see you there if you're able to come. If you're not, we understand. And again, Regardless of um, where you come from, if you consider this church home, every time you walk through this door, you're welcome here. You're welcome here. This is your home. Consider City Light your home. It's your home. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, we thank you for your Your word. God, would you drive us in the coming weeks to a place of prayer? Lord, where we're praying about our corporate going forth into Wilkesbury and the community here and reaching people with the gospel. Lord, we want to have an impact. We don't want to be the frozen chosen, this isolated group. We want to be living and active in our community, not just individually, but corporately as a church. So Lord, I pray that you would give us ideas and vision for how to really reach people with the truth, with the gospel. And Lord, I pray for us individually that as we are laying these things before you, that God, we'd be doing the things that we talked about, that we'd be confessing our sins, we'd be in the word, and that you would give us a heart for the for those who do not know you, those who are not in Christ. And we know, Lord, as you do these things in us and you do these things in this church, God, you're going to take care of the growth part of it. You'll take care of the growth. And God, I also just ask you in regard to tithing and finances of this church, Lord, that you would lead your people in this matter and in community. Lord, we pray that your blessing and your love would be experienced by all. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 God bless you.